Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 2. I know that last week I mentioned that uh, I would possibly be preaching last week's sermon in two parts. However, I think we covered uh, enough, not all of it, it's uh, of the subject on the final judgment, but I want to just move on at this point and preach a message more appropriate to the season that we're in. Uh, I will mention to you, um, haven't really set the price on this yet, but those sermons will be available in their entirety, uh, the sermon series on contending for the faith. And that is the faith that we believe in, what we believe in, why. We only covered a few of the things and and covering them felt like I was, you know, just sort of machine gunning it out to you. Uh, there, there's so much in some of those studies that it was, you know, it was impossible for me to really cram it into one message. Uh, but we, we kind of got through it. Uh, there are a number of other things that we could talk about. Maybe at a later date we will do that. But uh, today I want to preach a message entitled, The Wise and the Foolish. The wise and the foolish. Um, the question is, which one are you going to be this Christmas? You're going to be wise, or you're going to be foolish. You know, you don't have to read. I know that you you look at this. We're in Matthew chapter two. You might think to yourself, well, why aren't we in Matthew chapter seven? The end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about the wise man who built his house on the rock, and the foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the storms came, uh, the wise man's house stood and the foolish man's house went down. This is actually, there are a couple of other places in scripture that talk about the wise and the foolish. Certainly when you read in the book of Proverbs, we understand about wisdom uh, a little bit more. I would encourage you to read in Proverbs. If you want wisdom, we got to go to the book to find it. We need to ask the Lord for it. But we need to go to the Word of God to find it. And Proverbs is a book of wisdom. But there is somewhere else here in Scripture, and it's right smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story, at least part of what we see is the Christmas story for us, uh, of wise men and foolish men. And they're all part of this great drama that played out in Matthew chapter 2. I want to start reading at uh, verse 1. And we're going to read down through to verse 11. And I want you to see we have present in this passage. And we know most scholars believe that the the visit of the wise men, though most of us have them at the manger uh, in our little, you know, nativity scenes and in our minds, most scholars believe that the wise men didn't show up until Jesus was approximately almost two years old. Um, and, and so it, right about that point, right before Herod was going to condemn uh, all of the newborn babies, two years, male children, two years and under, uh, to be put to death. And they showed up right before that time. So it's possible that Jesus was, by this time, almost two years old. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we, we talk about it at this time of the year because it is uh, part of that whole event. And starting at verse 1, the Bible says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, 
Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me. That, so that I may go and worship him. After that, they heard the king. They went, after that they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming uh, to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own to their country by another route. We see wise men and foolish men in this passage of scripture. There are those who sought Jesus, and there are those who were disturbed by what they heard. And there are people just like this in society today. In fact, strangely enough, there are those who attend church. They want to be known at least in name as a Christian. But they are very disturbed by those who actually seek God and want to get closer to the Lord. There is something that grates on them about it. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because really I want to talk about the wise men for a moment. In this particular passage, we're going to look at this verses one and two. Let us know something about them. And, and I believe it's true today <clears throat> that wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek the Lord. You might say, well, you know, I, I don't really have time to pray. I don't have time, you know, to seek after God. I'm here to let you know that if you are wise in the day and the age that we are living in, in all the things that are going around us in the world, you need to know that if you are going to be wise in this world, you will seek hard after God with everything that is within you. The Bible lets us know about them, verses 1 and 2, it lets us know that they came from the east. That is, more than likely, they came from very far away. They came from what is probably known as modern-day Iran. They came from Persia. Persia was the nation that had once toppled the mighty Babylonian empire and pulled them down. These men came from a long distance. Though they, we live in a smaller world today, we know that in a few hours you can be in Europe now from this country, from the middle part of this country. You can be in Europe in just a few hours on a plane ride. For them, a few miles to, would take days and and, you know, tens of miles would take a couple of weeks. And the longer the trip was, it would take so long. 
They came from a great distance away and they traveled and they navigated. You imagine how they navigated. They didn't you know, plug their, their GPS into their camel and say, you know, all right, let's punch in the, you know, here it is. Here's the address in Bethlehem. Here's how we're going to get there. They didn't do that. They navigated by the star, the star, not the stars. They navigated by this one star. There was this one star that had appeared to them. And they said, let's go, fellas. We got to get going. And we've got to go and we've got to find what this star means. Their distance speaks about those who might feel that God is too far out of their reach. <clears throat> and I want you to hear me and hear me good today. Because there are people who think that somehow they have been so bad. That they have been so far away from God that God wants nothing to do with them. I find it interesting these men clearly were astrologers. They studied the stars. And I'm sure that every now and then they saw the occasional phenomenon. They saw the occasional comet or shooting star. How many of you have ever seen a shooting star in the sky? I remember seeing it, and, and literally it's gone in a second. You see something and it's gone. Maybe it's a star burning out some billions of miles away out in space. But you see it, and, and you see just this streak, and boom, it's gone. Well, this star didn't burn out. Something took place. This star lit up. It was this great phenomenon that took place. And they said, there, there's something different about this particular star. We've got to go and we've got to find what it means. <clears throat> and they chose to, to leave the comforts of where they were. To pursue the meaning of this great star that had appeared in front of them. Listen, for those who think that you are too far away from God and you are somehow out of his reach, you need to understand today that there isn't anybody that God cannot reach down and save. You have not gone so far that God will not show up to you and say to you, I've got a plan for your life. I've got something better than you just staring up in the sky, looking at a bunch of stars, thinking maybe there's meaning up there, or looking at some kind of crack house, maybe thinking there's meaning in there. You need to know that there is, brothers and sisters, a great plan for your and my life. These men came from a great distance because God knows how to shout through the distance and reach to people who are lost and without hope. These men also represented something wonderful for those of us who were not born Jewish, who were not born in the house of Israel, because these men came from a place where they didn't have a Jewish heritage. These were Gentiles. These men were outside of the household of Israel, and yet Matthew, a, a Jewish writer, a gospel writer, and, and a Jewish tax collector, writes how the reach of God is to everybody. Listen, the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither bond nor free. In, in Christ, we are all the same. The, the ground is always level at the cross. Nobody stands higher than another. Nobody can say to God, well, you know, God, because I went to church all my life, I'm better than. That doesn't impress God. Listen, you need to know today that, that God's speaking and showing up to these men. God's showing these wonderful signs to these men was proof that God has a plan for all men, not just one particular people. Now, the Bible lets us know about them that they took special notice of his star as it arose. Seemingly arising possibly in the east, not the sun, but a star. 
as astrologers, they would have studied the stars. And, and as I mentioned, they would have seen the occasional kind of uh, strange you know, phenomenon take place. But this was unlike anything that they had ever seen. This star moved them as it moved. It moved them from being studiers to being seekers. <clears throat> there is a difference. You can sit down and you can study the Word of God and you can read it and you can get as much into your brain as you possibly can, but it does not necessarily mean that you're seeking after God. You know, David shows us what it means to seek after God when he says these words. I believe it's in Psalm 42 and verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you, O God. Being a seeker is not just somehow saying, well, let me learn two or three scripture verses today and get them into my head so that I can memorize them. Being a seeker is saying, Lord, my soul is longing after you. And many times we have this misplaced seeking, you know, we, we study the Bible, but we're seeking other things. We, we look at the Bible, we say, okay, thank God for the word and thank God that he died on the cross for me. But you know what? In the end, when it really comes down to it, we're seeking other things. These men all their lives have been seeking answers in the stars. And when this one star showed up, it changed everything for them. They went from being studiers to being seekers. They changed their direction on what they sought and how they sought. You see, from before, we know the stars. You look up in the sky, they're stationary. They don't move. The earth moves. And I, I thank God for third grade science. <laughs> the earth moves. And as it revolved, my, my daughter just had a big test that I studied for. <laughs> and... You know, as it moves around the sun, the, sun it, the, the earth revolves around the sun and it's tilted always on an 18 degree angle on its axis and it moves at different places. There are different stars that are viewed at different times of the year and at different seasons of the year. You're not always in the same position and that's how the earth is. So they, as they study, certainly they saw different things but the stars were always in the same place. They were always stationary. But this one star changed everything. This one star changed them from being those who looked up in the sky and studied that which was stationary. And it changed how they sought after what would fill the longing of their soul. Let me tell you, the great star has appeared, brothers and sisters, and has motivated us to move toward that baby in Bethlehem who came to this earth to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. They now searched out the one who would change everything. They took special notice as it arose. I know that there are, you know, many people, many scientists, they try to, you know, they get the Bible and they try to explain everything away. This is one of those things that they sit there and they try to explain away and they try to, you know, pinpoint this particular phenomenon and when it happened so they could figure out, you know, if it happened, when it happened. And you know, I'm, uns I'm very unsympathetic to that crowd, I have to be honest with you. Uh, they, their effort is to explain away that which they cannot explain and cannot figure out. It's an amazing thing. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe in that, so they try to explain it away by pointing to other things. But in the end, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, we know that God is powerful enough and he is, he is big enough to be able to create a star in that moment that moved from where they were in the east to the west. 
God is big enough and he's powerful enough to do that. If he is, then he's powerful enough to change a life. They sought. What did they seek? They sought to worship. They sought to worship. Verse 2 says this about them. Let me just read it again. It says, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, how did they know about that? Well, it's possible that they knew about it because of the dispersion of Jews that took place a few hundred years earlier. Remember, when, when Assyria attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, it dispersed the ten northern tribes of Israel throughout the earth. In fact, those Jews never returned. Their, offspring, their, their uh, descendants would return eventually starting in 1947. Imagine that. But when those Jews, they spread out throughout the earth. So more than likely at that time already in Persia and Iran and Iraq and all of those places in Babylon, there were Jews who brought the law with them. And it's possible that they, they knew this verse of Scripture. In Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, it says, A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise out of Israel. It could be that they knew this particular verse out of the law that was brought with the Jews that had been scattered throughout the world. We don't really know that. But we know this, that when they arrived in Jerusalem, they knew about a king, they knew about a ruler, and they wanted to worship. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come, why? To worship him. We've come to worship him. Down in verse 11, verse 11 says this. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Imagine that. These guys knew very little of the law. Maybe they knew something, but they knew very little probably of the Old Testament. But there was something that took place. They sought to worship. They didn't seek to just come and say, interesting. That's a very interesting point of view that this Jesus would cause this star to appear, that, that his birth would create this great phenomenon. That's very interesting. Let me go back to my home country and tell them all about it. No, no, no. They took time to worship. They worshiped him. And brothers and sisters, if there is anything that God wants us to be at this holiday season, this time of the year, God wants us to be worshipers. The Bible says that he desires those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I know that we get loud in this church. I understand that we worship and we praise and we do it vocally. We do it for a very good reason. It's biblical. There is every biblical reason to raise our hands. There is every biblical reason to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There is every biblical reason to sing to the Lord a new song. There is every biblical reason for us to do all of that. All of that is a part of worship. The danger in that is that it can become something that we just do by rote. You know, it's easy to clap your hands when everybody else is, right? It's easy to sing if you know the words and everybody else is. It's easy to, you know, to even open your mouth and begin to praise God a little bit. It's easy to do that, but we can begin to do that, that and where it's not coming from the heart. What God wants us to do is to worship. You get the idea when these men bowed before Jesus in that, that the child Jesus, not, not yet two years old, they're in a house. And now all of a sudden these three strangers walk in 
And they bow and they worship. They bow down like this is the king. They came from another country. They came from another place. But brothers and sisters, when you see the king of kings and you encounter the king of kings, you can do nothing else but worship him. You can do nothing else but exalt him. If he's done something for you, then why wouldn't we praise him? Why wouldn't we worship him? Why wouldn't we open our mouths and magnify the Lord? Why wouldn't we begin to praise the name of the Lord? If he's done something for you, we've got to let him know, Lord, we're thankful for all that you've done. God, I thank you. We can't sit around and just say, well, I got to, gotta, you know. Look, you can do that, but what are you going to do when you get to heaven? As far as I read, that's going to be one loud place. Don't worry. Your ears will be fine. You'll have new ears. Glorified ears. I know. It's, you know, we were playing the music here on Friday night, practicing. You know, I mean, at one point, I think all of us up here, because we tend to have the music a little louder so that we can hear the music, but sometimes it gets a little too loud. And, you know, the ensemble's kind of wincing a little bit like this is painful. Uh, you're not going to have to worry about that. They'll have the glorified ears. They'll be able to handle it. They worship the Lord. They, they weren't spectators. Churches are full of spectators. Churches are full of those who just want to show up and just watch. Let me just watch. Don't, don't be a spectator. Be a participator. This is look. You don't. You can't participate in this afternoon's football game when the Patriots beat the Bears. I'm sorry. I don't even like the Patriots, even though I'm from New England. But you know, I, I just you know you can't participate. The spectators they go and they sit there in the freezing cold. You know, crazy kind of crazy people. They sit in the cold and they're they're out there and they think they're participating because they cheer. No, 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 you're not participating. The dude who just threw, threw the touchdown and the guy who just caught the touchdown, they're the participators. But you know what? You get to participate in worship. And not only this, you don't even, you can do it not only when you're here, but wherever you are. You can be a worshiper and you can praise him. Now, the final th couple of things about them, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this. I want to get to the foolish people. And it is this. They brought him gifts. They brought him gifts. A lot of times we, we hang on to things. We say, God, I can't let you have that because you'll certainly take it away from me. You know, these guys came open-handed. They brought gifts, the Bible says, of gold, incense, and myrrh. A lot of people have put some great meaning, deeper symbolism, and certainly there, there seems to be some symbolism to this because we know that gold was often offered to those of royalty. Some have surmised, and, and we don't really know this for sure, that the gold actually helped Joseph and Mary to be able to escape to Egypt. It financed their trip. As soon as Herod brought the command, get rid of all the two-year male, two-year-old male children, those who are two years and younger, get rid of them all. We know that Joseph and Mary fled with the boy Jesus to Egypt. How was he going to make it? We know Joseph was a carpenter, but, you know, you can only go so far with that in Egypt where they built pyramids, you know? I mean, the carpentry, I, I don't know so much. Stone hewing, uh, they, they could handle and do. But, you know, the, some believe that this gold that they dropped in their lap at this moment financed their whole trip. But gold was something that was brought to royalty. Myrrh 
spoke about his humanity and especially in the fullest sense of it as it was carried out his humanity to the point of his death. Myrrh was often used as a spice that was used to embalm dead people. And so this seemed to speak about his humanity and where Jesus was headed. Now some say, well, no, Matthew's not intending that. But nonetheless, this was part of the story and this is what it was used for. And incense spoke about his, his divinity. Incense is a, is a, a, a type of, of worship and praise. And this showing, they brought these gifts, they laid it at his feet and basically said, you're the king. You are the, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then one more thing about these wise men that made them so wise. They followed the voice of the Lord rather than the voice of man. Verse 12, the Bible says this about them. It says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, which remember Herod said, come back to me so I can go and worship. They returned to their country by another route. They listened to the voice of the Lord rather than the voice of man. If you are going to be wise, you will be wise if you will listen to the Lord first. If you will listen to him and you will hear his word, I'm here to let you know today that you will be a wise person. You will have wisdom in life, not just in life, but wisdom in your walk with the Lord. Listen to what God has to say. Too many of us are sticking our hearing, you know, hearing into the, the world's kind of views and the world's viewpoints and other people's viewpoints. We're listening to everybody around us. We're listening to all the people around us. But, but I'm, you, you've got to listen to the voice of the Lord. If you really want to have the wisdom of God and you want to serve God with all of your heart, you have got to listen to what God has to say rather than what man has to say. Listen, the Bible describes him as being all wise. Why wouldn't we listen to him? Why are we going to listen to somebody who doesn't know much more than you know? I don't care what kind of degrees they have after their names. You know, they're as human as you. There are things that stump them. <clears throat> and in the end, brothers and sisters, we will be wise if we will be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. Let's talk about the foolish people for a minute. The foolish men, we know this, if wise men still seek him, foolish men still scorn him. Foolish men still scorn him. Verses 3 through 8, let's take a look at that once again. The Bible says this, when King Herod heard this, he was, dis he was disturbed, notice this, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. There are some things we need to know about foolish people. And it is this. Those who scorn him are disturbed by seekers. Those who are foolish and scorn him are disturbed 
by seekers. <laughs> Listen, don't ever be disturbed by somebody who says, I just want more of the Lord. You might think, you know, he's so spiritual. Don't ever be disturbed by somebody who wants more of God. Don't ever look at them and say, you know, you, you, you need to just, there needs to be a balance, you know. If somebody wants God, they need to go after God. If somebody wants more of the Lord, they need to be able to go after God with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind. Verse 3 tells us that he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. As the king went, so went the people. The king was a, a wicked man. He was an evil man. And so all of Jerusalem was disturbed about this particular news. There were these who were standing in front of them saying, we want to know where the, this king is who's supposed to be born in the house of Jacob. We want to know about him. What are you talking about? I'm the king. <laughs> I mean, you do have to wonder about their audacity, right? They're showing up to this king saying, where's the king? <laughs> no, no, not you, man. Somebody else. <laughs> oh, yeah, king of your people. Yeah, yeah, but not you. Uh, you can understand, I suppose, Herod getting just a little upset about this. But he was disturbed by those who would seek God. Herod was greatly disturbed for a number of reasons. But those who seek God will always make those who don't seek him very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. This is why we need to be seeking God with all of our hearts. If you find that you're uncomfortable and you get around someone you know seeks God with everything that's in them, it could be that in you there is what, what Hebrews says is an evil heart of unbelief. See, unbelief is the one thing that robs believers so, so fast and so quickly. This is why we have to be so careful to guard our faith. To guard not only what we believe and why, but also that faith that arises within us. That belief, that ability to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you no matter what. Because when the enemy attacks that, then all of a sudden you become uncomfortable by those who really are seeking God. Not only that, those who are foolish and scorn him often possess enough truth to become seekers, but they refuse to do so. It's an amazing thing how people, when they come to a place in their lives where maybe you have encountered somebody like this, where they have been raised in church. Oh, grew up in church. I was always in church. My mama dragged me to church by my ears. I didn't want to go, but I, I was there. My mother made me go. I, I, same boat, folks. I've been there. You know, but... They come to the place where they say, don't want it anymore. I reject it. They grow up. They get older, whatever it might be, and they reject what they have heard. You see, they've heard enough of the word in the past that should cause them to be seekers, but they refuse to do so. Verses 4, 5, and 6 bear that out in this passage. The Bible lets us know that there were chief priests, teachers of the law that got together and get this, Herod asked them very specifically. He says, I want to know where the Christ, the Messiah, is supposed to be born. Well, according to the, the, the law, according to the Old Testament, the prophets, the Bible says this. In Bethlehem, verse 5, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, Judea. They know the prophecy. They know what the Bible says. 
They know what the word of God says, and yet they refuse to grab onto it. And get this. They even read the whole thing. They read the whole thing. It says, out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd for my people. Remember Jesus from time to time would say, I am the shepherd. My sheep know my voice. He called himself the shepherd. They used these words as they read to Herod. Now, Herod could have been a seeker. He could have at that moment, when he heard those words out of the prophets, he could have become a seeker and said, you know what, I'm a nobody by comparison to this king. By comparison to this ruler, and if this is who they're really looking for, then I need to seek after him, not to kill him, but I need to seek after him to become somebody who is a worshiper. And there are many people who are like Herod who are threatened by the idea of somebody else being in charge. You see, Herod was a puppet king. Rome was in charge. He thought he had more power than he actually did. He liked to think that about himself. But he really didn't. He was a puppet king, thought he was in charge. And at that moment when he heard there was another king, he got really upset. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. There are people like that in the world today. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. God's not going to tell me what to do. No preacher standing in the pulpit's going to tell me what to do. Well, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm trying to tell you what God says. That's all. Don't, you know, don't shoot the messenger, as they say. And, you know, God wants to be in charge because he deserves to be in charge. He can do a whole lot better job at it than you can. But Herod got upset. Now, he could have been a seeker. He could have. And there are so many people who hear upon hearing the word of God, they could become seekers. But the one thing that causes them not to is simply this. They won't. They refuse. They just won't do it. Now, here's the worst thing about this story. It's not Herod. Herod was just, he was, he was a wicked king. Certainly he could have had he heard the word of God in his heart, had he responded to the word of God. But get this, the religious leaders. These guys should have been seekers. Listen to what the Bible says about them. <laughs> Herod says, I want to know the exact place. Now, remember this. You have to remember this. Chapters and verses, chapter numbers and verses did not appear in their text. Didn't appear. That was something added by man later. You know, God, when he inspired Matthew to write Matthew's gospel, he didn't say, now, Matthew, here's chapter 1, verse 1. Please make sure you put the numbers. It didn't, it didn't happen that way, folks. It was added later on so that we, the ordinary men and women who then could possess Bibles, men, ordinary men and women didn't always possess Bibles. They couldn't. But when they did, they could find where it was that certain scriptures were. But it's an amazing thing. You look in the Bible, you read about Jesus when he got up and he read the portion of the book of Isaiah that talks about that the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to, to, to the poor and to bring sight to the blind and set the prisoner free and all of that. He went straight to the book of Isaiah and he knew right where it was. These guys knew right where it was with no chapters and verses where it talked about where, where the Christ, the Messiah, the king, this ruler would be born. These guys should have been seekers. If there was any excitement about the Messiah, it should have come from them. It should have come from these guys. 
when they saw that in the book of the prophets that it says, here's where the Messiah is going to be born, they should have said, you know what? This is happening now. We're living in a magical time. We're living in a wonderful time. We're living in a most important time in history. But no, no, they didn't do that. They just did this one thing. Nothing. Nothing. They did nothing at all with what they knew. They knew the exact spot in, an, in, a, in the prophets where it talked about that in the book of Micah. They knew where to go in the book of Micah, even though there were no chapters and verses. They knew right where it was. They had studied it so much. They should have been a seeker. There should have been such a wonderful, wonderful excitement that welled up within them. And brothers and sisters, many of us approach this season with such a dread in our hearts. We approach this season with such a, you know, such this this thing of this weight of the Christmas season. Many of you can't even enjoy it. Why? Because you've lost the wonder of a Messiah who came to rescue you from your sin, who came to deliver you out of the bondage of the nonsense and the mess that you were involved in. We've lost the wonder. We know where to find the scripture, but we don't let it sink down on the inside. Listen, become a seeker. Become a worshiper. Become a worshiper. These religious leaders. Now, one final thing about these, these foolish men, those who scorn and those who are foolish and scorn him often embrace a religious attitude to fulfill their own desires. I don't know how many men and women have walked an aisle upon hearing a, a, a preacher give an altar call for salvation who have walked that aisle for salvation for no other reason than to get the man or the woman that's sitting next to them to marry them. I don't know how many times it's happened. It's a dangerous thing to use Scripture and to use, you know, the Christian experience to get what you want. Herod all of a sudden put on this air of humility. He put on this this show in front of these wise men. And he said, you know, this is where it's supposed to happen. I want you to go and I want you to find where, where this, this child is to be born. I want you to find him and come back and report it to me so I can go. You can imagine, I can go and worship him. He's an actor. Oh, that I can worship him. And that was the farthest thing from his mind, the farthest thing from his head. Brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful that we don't allow the lingo, that all the things that we've learned, all the, you know, the praise God, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Down on the inside, you don't feel blessed. Down on the inside, you're in pain. I'd like for one Sunday, somebody to walk through the door and instead of saying, well, I'm blessed when they're not blessed and they don't feel blessed, say, you know what? I'm having a hard time. Can we have the congregation pray? You imagine what could happen in this place if we did that? You know what? I'll never forget the Sunday. You know, pastors are notorious for having to do that. But I'll never forget the Sunday that we prayed for our daughter Riley when she was a little bit younger and she, had by, she wasn't even two and had experienced already 13 ear infections. I remember the Sunday we came in. I was like, I can't take it anymore. My wife couldn't take it. We, neither of us could take it. 
we stood up, and, and I, you know, and I think on that Sunday, I had to preach about faith, of all things, and said, I have no faith, and I need you to pray, and you know what happened in this place? It wasn't, it wasn't me, it wasn't me who did anything, but on that day, on that particular day, opened up my heart and showed you my hurt. We opened up our hearts, showed you our hurt, and you know what you did? You prayed like that was your child experiencing that. This congregation prayed. You called on God in this place. We had one of the best meetings I think we had had in a long, long time when that took place. Why? Because you know what, what brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, it's not the lingo that changes it all. Well, I can't say this because, you know, then that's going to happen. No, no, no. Listen, if you're in pain, you're hurting, you walk in, I'm in pain. Listen, we've taken time over the last few weeks to pray for people who have been sick. Why? Because people have been sick. And you're listening to me this morning and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, you don't sound so great either. You're right, I don't. But you know what? We pray and we call upon God because in the end, listen, it's not just to be a haven for the holy. This is to be a hospital for the hurting. And when you're in pain and you're down and out, brothers and sisters, lingo isn't going to change it. What's going to change it is when we seek the Savior and call upon him with everything that is within our hearts. The last thing I want you to notice is this, that all men will see him. Turn over to the book of Revelation chapter 1. All men will see him. Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to close with this. Revelation chapter 1. The Bible says this, and verse 7. It says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Imagine that. Even those who put him on the cross, they're going to see him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. I think they'll mourn simply because many of them will have noticed him or heard of his gospel and heard of the good news about him and rejected it. They will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. All men will see him. Those who scorn him will see him as their judge. We talked about the final judgment last week. I'm not going to belabor that point uh, very much, but the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. It says, They, that is the world, thinks it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who scorned him. Herod is going to stand before this king that he could have worshipped. That he could have sought after. And he will have to confess that he is Lord. But brothers and sisters, those who seek him will see him as their king. You seek him now, you're going to see him as your king. Not as your judge, but as your king. As the one who came into the world to change your life and be your king. You seek him now. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, Dear friends, <coughs> now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he 
is in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you seek him now, if you are a wise person now and go after him now, you will not have to fear on that day of judgment. You will not have to be afraid to stand before that great white throne judgment that we read about last week. You will not have to be afraid, but instead you can stand and say, this is my king. I served him with all my heart, not perfectly, but I served him with all my heart, and he changed my life. Brothers and sisters, this moment changed the lives of those wise men that came so far from the east. They bowed and they worshiped. They went home another way, and I think they might have gone home another way to tell everybody about what they had seen, what they had experienced, and how this little baby, not even able probably to say full sentences yet, changed their lives. Brothers and sisters, you and I have encountered a Savior. Be a seeker. Be somebody who goes after him. Don't sit there and say, you know, it's just for older people. It's just for this person or that class of people. It's not. It's for everybody. It's for everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. Their seeking took effort on their part. And if we're to be seekers, we have to pay the price. Jesus said, let him who comes after me deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is a part of self-denial that has to take place. You have to just say, Lord, it's not, that, not me, but you. John, John the Baptist said these words, that he might increase and I might decrease. We need to understand that seeking took effort on the part of these men. Their seeking brought them to the place of fulfillment when they arrived in the presence of Jesus. You get the sense that it all just, it, that was the moment they had been waiting for. That was the moment they had been waiting for. And listen, when we get into the presence of Jesus, there's nobody who can, who can touch you like he can. There's nobody who can, who can come down and minister to the hurting heart that you have quite like Jesus can. There's nobody that can come into your situation and change things quite like Jesus can. But you know what? It takes seeking after him. It takes going after him. Be wise and go after him so that you will come out on the other side victorious. You come out on the other side with a smile on your face saying, thank God for Christmas. Not because of the lights, not because of the gifts, not because of all of those things, but thank God that he came to this earth to die on a cross for my sin and to give me new hope and to give me a future. Can we just bow our heads right now and close our eyes?